time. So she is joining me uh, here today as we bring God's word. And so uh, this will be fun. Yeah, it's a, it's a pleasure because we're family and uh, it's just neat to be instructing together as a family. So, So Erica and I do a lot of team teaching on these kind of topics, like a lot. And we have had opportunities here at the Brook, but we haven't had one in a minute. So I'm excited to do this like this. Uh, you know, we just came out of a, we, you know, we are here this third week of February. This past week was Valentine's Day when all the world seems to be talking about love and talking about romance and Cupid, this pudgy little baby with a bow and arrow um, hitting people. And really what it does to remind us, though, is our world is looking for answers and, and understandings when it comes to love. And um, what I just love about God is that he is called the God of love. He is love himself. He's the one who defines it. He's the one who teaches us it and uh, teaches us how to love in every sphere of life. And so and he does so in particular relationally in this book of the Bible called the Song of Solomon. And um, what makes us very excited to talk about this is that we know that this series, as many series we're going to be in, uh, there is something for everybody who is here right now in person and everyone who's streaming online. Like we believe in our hearts that there is something for you no matter how old you are or how young you are, whether you're single or whether you're married, uh, no matter where you're at in life. Because this is so much more than about relationships between a husband and a wife um, in this book of Song of Solomon. But it's about a God who cares for us as people. It's about a God who understands our desires, our affections, our longings, our disappointments. And wants to give us instruction. Like we talk about this. Like there's so many signals in our world that teach us and try to instruct us about romance, about intimacy. And they're all like things like MTV, BET, NBC, CBS, all these three-letter letters, you know. But never about like G-O-D. Like God has actually something to say about this. And we get our instruction from so many other places. And it's like God's like, yo, I, I have a message for you all. And there it is here, this book of the Bible, an entire book, eight chapters devoted to this very topic. But here's the thing. A lot of us don't go into this book of the Song of Solomon. But let me ask, you ever try this thing? It is a book that is highly poetic. It's got tons of imagery. And sometimes you're like, what am I reading right here? This is weird. It don't make sense. I mean, because it's, again, like we've talked about in previous weeks, we're culturally removed. But then we're like, we're poetically removed. And we're like, what is this thing talking about? And so what we're going to see today is that uh, we, we believe that there is a message here for us. And we'll see how deeply God cares about us. Um, and so like I said, this is for singles. This is for marrieds. This is for no matter where you're at. Because the messages around us in our world tell us things like we're not enough. Tell us things like, you know, to be dissatisfied with where you're at. And uh, man, God has just so much more than that for us. He does. And we also want to recognize that with a book like this um, and topics, sometimes it can be just difficult to kind of address in a diverse group like this, right? Um, because we're not just talking to one one stage, one one life phase of people. We're um, in all, we're in di- there's a diversity of ages and, and places that we are here, right? Um, we have youth, we have singles, we have marrieds, um, divorced, widowed. And so we just want to take this, pat, this text with much consideration, um, knowing that, you know, there's some of us that desire romantic relationships and maybe we're not in one. And so we just want to be very sensitive to that. Um, some of us carry wounds from relationships. We want to be sensitive to that because we know sometimes that brings hurt. Um, some of us 
carry wounds from our own failures, our own choices. And so, um, and that has brought great, great pain. And so all of this, we just want to take into account. Um, and just the, the, the fact that God inspired this book to meet us where we're at. And so just acknowledging that, um, to see that this is a picture of love, a picture of intimacy. And so wherever, wherever we're at, we just pray that God would tenderly use this book in each of our lives. Okay, and so that's what we, as we have studied and we're like, God, some of this is tough to kind of navigate. We're like, God, you, you have this book in here for us. Um, and I heard somebody say, like, I really wish that, so, well, when I heard somebody teaching about this and say, man, I really wish I had really understood this book at, at, um, before marriage and even in marriage. Like, I, I really, there's just so much here. And so as we look at that, we want to say Song of Solomon elevates sex. It elevates passion and attraction, but it elevates it to its rightful place, okay? And so it's not the place of God, which would be idolatry. Mm -hmm. um, it's, nor is it the place of casualness, which would be diminishing of God's intention for it. Um, but it's the, to the place of honor and beauty. And so um, we just pray that this would kind of leap off the pages as, you know, um, we just feel like God is really wanting to elevate the institution of, of marriage and and even romantic love. You know, this book was really, um, in many ways, denied for so long by the, by the, the, the in church history, kind of because it, it is, there's so much of passion in it. Um, and at the same time, it's kind of like, but God created this passion. Um, passion is not a new thing from the beginning of time. So there's nothing, uh, the, the Bible says that there's nothing new under the sun, right? And so pe people have passion now, they have passion then. Um, and so... Attraction and passion play a, an important role in creation because God designed us in that way. You know, I was thinking God didn't bring um, Eve to Adam, bless their union and their passion, and then he found them in the garden one day and was like, ew, what are you guys doing? Like, <laughs> like God designed and um, created um, marriage, intimacy, and he blesses their union. And so we're going to see that. Um, but there's a reality that sin entered the world, right? Um, and God's good plan got twisted and confused. And many of us struggle with, just as we struggled back back then, song, during the time of Song of Solomon, we struggle now. And so it's under that, all of this that we take into account as we come to the text. Yeah. And like, just for example, the book of Song of Solomon, many believe, was written by a guy named Solomon, who happened to have 700 wives and 300 concubines. And it's like... <laughs> So I'm going to get my info from this dude over here, you know. Um, so the Bible says he was the wisest man to live, and I like to say he's the wisest fool to ever live because he made such foolish decisions. And what happened, we see, is in his life he drifts from God. And when he drifts from God, his life falls apart. And he begins to go from what he knew to be true to following the passions of his life in a way that was outside of the bounds of what God had planned for him. And his life became a mess. And so we believe that the book of Song of Solomon ultimately is, is his description of how things uh, ought to have been. It's, the, it's, the, it's what he had wished, that Solomon wished he had had. And so it's not a literal story, but there's a story inside this book. Um, it's a story that has three, essentially three characters. There is the man and the woman, the, the lover and the beloved, this couple that's definitely in love, as we'll find out from the opening verses. And then there's this group of others, as it calls them. And it's like there's like this cheering section every so often that pops in. They're like, yo, yeah, go for it. That's good, you know. And so, like, you'll see them just, just chiming in throughout. And it's like, okay. So, again, it's poetry. It's kind of like a, like a drama, like a play that's unfolding in some ways. But we don't want to overly box us in. You'll see what we get, what we're talking about um, in a moment. 
we'll see that the main character, is, um, the man is, is essentially Solomon. He's not named necessarily as such, although a couple of times, but um, he's more just referred to as a king or a shepherd. And there's a woman called the Shulamite, the Shulamite. Some people think she comes from a town called Shulam that's unknown to us, and she's a Shulamite. But I think in the Hebrew, her name is Shulamah, and Solomon's name is Hebrews Shulamo. So I think it's kind of like the male and female version. It's kind of lame, right? Like, like Eric and Erica, right? It's, just, it's so lame. And so, but I think that's what's going on. I think Solomon's like, hey, this is the picture. Sometimes I'm embarrassed by how cheesy that right? is, but I it is you. what it is. God did it, so... So, Can't be yeah. And in the poetry, like I said, we've got to interpret it. Sometimes, like, legit, we're reading this, we're like, I don't know what that means. We're reading commentaries, like seven different commentaries have seven different interpretations. Um, you know, for some of y'all, like, this is not necessarily the best book to get pickup lines, you know? <laughs> like, your hair looks like a flock of goats which descends from Mount Gilead. Like, don't try that one, dudes. Like, you know, that's not going to win you any points. Um, but we can talk about what that means when we get there in chapter 4, verse 1. So the opening chapters, we see this couple that they're, they're not yet married from what we can tell, but they're very much in love, a lot of passion. Chapter 4 and 5, you see they, they get married. It's their wedding day. They're very much infatuated, very much in love. We see at the end of the book, they get to some crises. They go through some conflicts. And then we see the longevity at the end of the book. But essentially, uh, the, the thrust of the book is in chapter 8, verse 7. Which let me read this for you all right quick. It says this, Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be despised. And it's basically saying that God has a plan for love and affection that is greater than anything money can purchase you. Um, but we have to understand where this kind of affection comes from. All right? So y'all ready to dive into this with us? All right? So again, whether this is a direct application for you or whether you're like, you know what, God's giving you wisdom because there's people in your life that need to hear this. And now you've become an instrument of God's wisdom to them. Family, we got something to learn, all of us here today. And so today we're going to learn in this opening chapter about the attraction that this couple had for one another. And that's why we titled our sermon, The Main Attraction. What is the main attraction? You know, you go to a theme park, it might be the newest roller coaster. But what is the main attraction when it comes to romance? And today we're going to find this, that attraction that is merely physical is attraction that is surely faltering. All right? That's someone who heard me. Thank you. Yes. Um, who else heard me here? Attraction that is merely physical is attraction that is surely faltering. Y'all with me? We're going to learn today that God wants to cultivate within all of us character. Character ought to be of the highest value because that's what God wants to form in us as men and women, young and old. And that's why we said, like, all of us need character. For all of us, our character has been challenged. And so today we're going to learn about character and we're going to learn about the commitment that these two, this couple has for one another even before they are married. And so I'm going to ask you to join us in the book of Song of Solomon and we're going to be in chapter 1. Uh, that's smack dab in the middle of your Bible. So will you turn there if you have a Bible? If you don't have one, there is a, uh, a blue one in the chair that's in front of you. Um, open it up. Meet us there in Song of Solomon chapter 1. I'm going to invite you guys to stand with us as we get ready to dive into God's word. We're going to be reading the first 17 verses. And I want you to be listening 
for these character points, these moments where it's like, ah, I, I want to be a, a man or a woman of character, character that only God can establish. All right, you guys with me there? Song of Solomon, chapter 1. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. Therefore, virgins love you. Draw me after you. Let us run. The king has brought me into his chambers. We will exalt and rejoice in you. We will extol your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. I am very dark, but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem. Like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not gaze at me because I am dark, because the sun has looked upon me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. Tell me, you whom my soul loves, where you pasture your flock, where you make it lie down at noon. For why should I be like one who veils herself beside the flocks of your companions? If you do not know, O most beautiful among women, follow in the tracks of the flock and pasture your, go your young goats beside the shepherd's tent. I compare you, my love, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with strings of jewels. We will make for you ornaments of gold studded with silver. While the king was on his couch, my nard gave forth its fragrance. My beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh that lies between my breasts. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms in the vineyards of Engedi. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves. Behold, you are beautiful, my beloved, truly delightful. Our couch is green, the beams of our house are cedars, our rafters are pine. This is God's word, family. Let's pray. Father, uh, we do want to thank you, Lord, um, for this morning. And God, I do want to ask that you would speak through both me and Erica as we bring forth your word. God, would you move in each of our hearts here in our church family, whether in person or online. We ask, God, uh, that you would meet us here. Whether there is joy in life right now or disappointment, God, whether there is fear or anger, whether there is a lot of just satisfaction or, or just longing, God, would you meet us? God, we know that as we open this passage, it's going to bring a lot of things to each of our minds. I pray, God, you would shepherd our hearts by your spirit through these words, Lord. God, um, I pray that this would be a really special time of growing and learning together. So we bring this all before you, God, asking that you would meet us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may take a seat, fam. Well, as you see in the opening verse, it says this is a song of Solomon. It's a song that likely Solomon wrote. Some people thought it's a song that someone else wrote in honor of Solomon. We don't know ultimately, but we're going to go with the idea that probably is a song that Solomon himself wrote. And as you see in, in our Bibles, um, there is a part where it says she in the middle there. Um, then it says verse 2, let him kiss me. So that's where you'll signify who's speaking and who's not speaking. Um, and so that's how we kind of understand and breaking things down. And we see from the, literally the opening verse there where she is speaking. She says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. And y'all are like, oh, we're getting started started, aren't we? Like, this, this, is, this is really, really happening. And, and that's, that's, where, that's where this book is starting out, where she is expressing a longing that she has for her beloved. 
So we see from the very beginning, she's, as she says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. So she's acknowledging her desire. Even though here she's, she's not acting on it, right? She says, let him kiss me, almost like this idea of like, I wish he would kiss me. Um, and so what comes to mind is the fact that she, um, she isn't weak and wanting him to kind of like read her mind. But, she's go and she, but she isn't also going to him inappropriately and saying, I'm going to kiss you. You know, but she says, let him kiss me. And it's, I feel like it's an interesting picture of strength as a woman. Um, but it's also a picture of surrender unto him. She's a strong woman who, and she does, actually you'll see in the book, she does most of the talking in the book. Um, but it's interesting to note that she doesn't initiate it. But basically she's expressing, being very honest with her, with her desire. She's expressing that. She's asking that he would draw her to himself. And so she's recognizing her passion. Um, and she's acknowledging it, but, and I love that the book is not bringing that out in order to shame her either. And so God is not surprised by our desires and passions. And we'll see for in the coming weeks of the book that he created them and that he designed us with these drives in his goodness, but he also designed them to be expressed in a certain context, in a certain place. And, um, and it's good, I feel like it's so good to see, though, that we don't have to hide these desires. We don't have to hide them from God. Like God desires integrity in all areas of our life. And so this is not an area that we have to compartmentalize and say, you know what, but I don't want to be very honest with God about these passions and feelings that I have. No, honesty with our longings is something that we don't have to hide from God. And this is very clear here. She's not shamed for th this expression. It's just she's expressing um, and, but bringing them to God, bringing our passions, our desires to God actually helps us to process them so we can filter them because he is a safe place to do that. Mm -hmm. Okay? And so um, now he, it kind of goes on to. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it, it's such, it is such a cool thing, like you're saying there. Like, like one of the reasons we wanted to do this series is that we want, we want our, our, the people of the brook to understand how God has made us as men and women. And even in our youth to understand how God has made them. And God's not about shaming us for the desires. And I just, I just love that point. Because this is so important. Because our world tells us, like, we separate our faith and our, and our, and our romance. or separate our faith and our longings, our relational longings. But that's not what God does. God made this thing. And I think he, he does just want us to come to him with all of that we have. That's really what integrity is. It's like not, nothing is separated in my life from God. And so the passions that I have, the things that I, I want to just acknowledge, and I can bring them before God. Because he is a safe place to process that with. And then he's going to be the reminder to us to, this is how you filter it now. now. Now this is how we shape it in a way that still honors me and honors you too. Because I have what's best for you in mind. Yeah, that's some character development just even in that point, right? Re refining us. She goes on. So she talks about, let him kiss me with the kisses of her mouth. There's a longing for touch. She goes on to say in verse 2, for your love is better than wine. That's a taste. You know, wine can be very intoxicating, very sweet. And she's like, the way you love me is like intoxicating. It is sweet to me. So there's, there's taste. She says, your anointing oils are fragrant, so there's smell. And she's basically saying, my beloved is engaging my senses here. Um, and my love for him is engaging my senses. Your name is oil poured out, therefore virgins love you. Draw me after you. Let us run. Like, call me away. Let's spend some time together. I long for your presence. Like, there, there is longing that's being expressed. And it's not like, sucia or dirty. Or how dare you say these things. It's like, no, this is what God has cultivated. And so, like, 
But the important thing is understanding the right place, understanding how God has designed it. Because we'll see here throughout the Bible, God has intended for men and women who fall in love to, to enjoy the outwork and enjoy the physical aspects of that love within the safe context of marriage. And so this couple is saying, hey, but those desires are there now, but, but we can't necessarily pursue them yet. But the desires are not being shamed. And so here's, in all her senses, she's expressing this. Um, but it's, it's not just, it's not merely physical, right? Like that 1992 shy song, right? We don't want to get caught, caught up, up in physical, physical attraction, attraction, right? You guys remember that? Come on, you, we ain't that 90s. old, come on. So like, like it's, it's not just about the physical. And this is, this is where character development is. We have to understand that God wants us here, as our second point, to value a good name over good looks. Value a good name over good looks. And look in chapter, chapter 1, verse 3. It says, uh, it says, your name is oil poured out, therefore virgins love you. Like, what is she saying here? She's saying, your name is so sweet. Your name is so great. You've got such a great reputation. Other single women hear it, and they're like, yo, that dude's got a great reputation. And, and here, this lover, she's like, and that's my man. Like, and I love that. His name is like oil poured out. It is fragrant. Just think about that, the power of a name. You know, uh, Ecclesiastes says a good name is better than precious ointment in Ecclesiastes 7.1. Proverbs 22.1 says a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. You know, marketing companies spend millions of dollars, or, or companies spend millions of dollars in marketing in order for their brand to receive a good name. Right? And, and they'll do whatever they can through commercials or jingles or slogans, like, like a good neighbor. Right? What do they want you to understand? That State Farm is reliable. You're in good hands with? Right? There. Right? It melts in your mouth. Not, what is this? Right, when you eat this can, your hand's not going to get all chocolate everywhere. They want you to associate the, their name, their jingle together saying, all right, at the sound of that, it's a, it's a good thing. Breakfast of champions. Right, like so, so what she's saying here is his name, at the sound of his name, there is a reputation attached to that, and it is a fragrance to her. Look, man, this is, this is why... Character is so important. That's why we say attraction that is merely physical is attraction that's faltering. Because ultimately those things change, but character is a, is a rock. This is what we live our lives leading a life of character. Now, one thing we need to understand, family, is that character is not something you can manufacture on your own. We all from birth are broken people with flawed characters. But this is where we, why we elevate the name of Jesus so high at the brook. Because Jesus went to the cross and died for us so that through our faith in him and he rose from the dead, he gives us a new life and gives us the Holy Spirit who now dwells within us to cultivate character within us that we couldn't manufacture on our own. And so when you find yourself like lacking character, we look to God saying, God, I find myself struggling with integrity. I find myself struggling with truthfulness. I find myself struggling with improper desires or covetousness. Or you go down whatever the list is, and you don't have to go and say, now i got to find a way to fix my problem. But you look to God and say, God, I can't fix my problem. 
God, I need you to develop and cultivate this within me. Yes. Yeah, so, so this point, the fact that she's saying, like, your name is oil poured out. Um, this is kind of a general thing that the Bible just reflects for us completely. That we are, people are more than just our appearances. And I love the fact that she's basically saying, like, of, of who you are, I love your character. That's what a name really reflects, right? Character. So from the very first, the very start of their relationships, her, from their relationship, she's, they're focusing on, she's focusing on his character, on who he is as a person, um, on his, his we're going to see him act in kindness and speak words of affirmation over her. And so they're learning how to value and care for one another as a whole person. And so this is such a picture of what, where, and how lasting love is built. It really is. It's an example for us. It's built on character. It's built on the internals, not the externals. Because we know um, that Proverbs 6.25 says, Do not desire her beauty in, in your heart. And speaking of the wicked, adulterous woman. The, um, because do, do not let her captivate you with her eyelashes. Um, you want to move past, we want to move past the exterior, only the exterior. If that's all we're focusing on, is it really going to be lasting? And this is a picture of what it means to really um, choose to l look at somebody as a, as a whole. And what kind of person, what kind of name do they have as a whole? Um, and Proverbs tells us an excellent wife who can find. And I, oh, she's far more precious than jewels. And because why? It's not because of her, her beauty, because later in that chapter it says, um, beauty is, is fleeting and vain, but it says because she fears the Lord. And that's what her name is about. That's what her character is about, that she actually, she fears God. And that comes out in all of her life. Um, so a wise woman or a wise man is somebody who chooses another person and sees their character and chooses them based on that character that is expressed. And so I would say we have to be leery if we happen to be the only one who really thinks that that person has a good name. You know, if somehow we're like, no, they're, they're great. They think they're good. They got good character. And you're like, but everybody else around you, um, you're the only one who can see it. Then I say, those are some red flags. Those are some real red flags because a good name is something that we can, we, it, it's, it's expressed in a life. It's expressed in their, the, the, the life that's lived. And so. That's great. And you know what's so cool is we're, is we're highlighting this, this matter of something deeper than the exterior that's something that, that God wants us to be attracted to, is, especially as singles, as we're talking to you all here. Like, like as you're looking for someone and you desire to be in a relationship, perhaps, or you're, you're counseling someone else who desires to be in a relationship, um, highlighting the inward character. And God has always been about this. I mean, with King David, right, a man looks at the outward appearance, like, like Erica said, God looks at the heart. The, this woman of virtue in Proverbs 31. And the truth of the matter is, the Bible even says the same about Jesus. You know, in, in, uh, in Isaiah 53, when this prophecy about Jesus, this Messiah, the Savior is going to come, it, it says that there, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Like there's nothing necessarily about him physically that was drawing people to him, but it's the character of Jesus who is God in human flesh. The fact that he's a, he's, he's a God who brings people in with compassion and love. And think about it, if you are a follower of Jesus today, what was it that God did to draw you to himself? It was undoubtedly his grace. It was God's forgiveness. It was the fact that God is so merciful, although you know you've messed up so bad. And that's the end. Those are the qualities, the character of God. And God is saying, just shadow me this example I've set for you. And he's not saying that, that 
you know, downplay the exterior, but you cannot build anything upon that as, the, as your foundation. A good name over good looks is ultimately what we got to go for. Yeah, and I think the Bible gives us good pictures of this and, and when he talks about certain individuals that are blameless, fearing God, walking with God. And so some things that we see like just are just general characteristics of those with a good name that the, kind of, the Bible kind of elevates for us to see is um, that they walk with God. And so they love the Lord. And so is that person loving Jesus more than they'll ever love you? Um, do they order their life around um, God's priorities, basically? Do I order my life around God's priorities? Um, people that turn away from evil. This is somebody with a good name. Um, somebody that listens to the spirit. And um, if the spirit says, hey, you know what? Let's not, don't go to that place. Run for, you know, it's, it's somebody that's sensitive and listening to God and in their obedience, um, obeying his commands. And um, man, it's not easy. And I think it's so, I think maybe too, even sometimes we can say, man, I feel like I'm, I'm really trying to seek, even for myself, that I would be walking with the Lord, turning away from evil, obeying his commands. But there's not, that's maybe almost a defeatist. Like that's not going to be somebody that, um, there's no one else out there. Um, and feel really discouraged by that. And listen, I don't know, we don't know the story that God has for us, right? We just don't know. But we can entrust that he's faithful, that he's good, and that as we obey him, um, that he has what's best for us in mind. And we can leave everything with an open hand. Um, I have a, a, a good friend who once in this, she had gone through a really tough breakup and felt like, man, I, I, she was expressing to um, her father, actually, like, there's nobody going to be out there for me. And he's like, I'll be right back. He goes, he comes, and he has a big map of the world, and he pulls it out. And he's like, you don't think God can have somebody for you in this whole huge world? And it was just a reminder, like, yeah, I don't know what's ahead, but I trust you, God. And I just want to walk with my eyes on you because that's the best way right now. That's the best way ever. And then as I'm walking, if you bring somebody and I, I see that they're walking with you just the same way, and um, then, then I'll be able to see, like, God, your, your hand is in this. Um, but I, I guess I just want to leave that little bit of encouragement because I think sometimes these conversations can feel like, yeah. man, that what you're saying is impossible right now. Yeah, and then the temptation comes to lower our standards. Absolutely. And, and you know, go yeah. after someone whose character is as stable as a bowl of jello on a subwoofer, right? <laughs> it's like, yo, why is, why is this thing all over the place? You know, and that's not what God wants for us. And I think for us, too, then we don't have to hide behind the exterior either, right? Like, we talked about this before, and I just want to reiterate that. Like, you know, if you're, you're on social media, whether it be TikTok or Instagram, and you want to post a picture, but you see that mess behind you. You know, I've told you all about this before. And, like, you post this picture, like, oh, it's a mess. What do you do? You crop that thing out, right? You crop out the mess out of the picture. You're about to post it. You're like, oh, I'm looking a little pasty. Let me throw a filter on this thing real quick, right? Let me just throw, fix this up. And you post it, and you went from Instagram to Instatan, and, and, like, everything's looking all perfect when it posts. And, like, that's, but that's not you, though. And so, but when we put our value in the exterior, we find ourselves, like, not being us. And so I pray this is liberating for, for you singles, um, and, and we'll get to you married in a moment here, but, but like, like really like liberating where you, you can value the inward qualities that God values, and that's the kind of thing that ought to be attracting anybody to you and you to anyone else. And we just see them highlighting his name here, and we also even see her speaking to, to this in the midst of some insecurities that she faces here in this same passage in verse, uh, in verse 5. We'll skip ahead a little bit here. Yeah to verse 5, um, 
Because, again, we see this attraction going beyond the physical because the physical only is faltering. And so she says here in verse 5, um, she says, she, it was the, the, um, the others have just said, rightly do they love you, right? And so the fact that other people in her life are affirming um, that he is loved by others, it's a big deal to her, you know, so the, the fact that other people love him. Um, and so, but she now goes on to express her own insecurities. She's like, people love you, um, but she's kind of like, but look at me in this moment. And she's expressing self-doubt um, that's rooted, I think, in many ways in the, the way that the society might be looking at her. Um, so in verse 5, she, she begins to declare some of these insecurities. She says, I'm very dark, but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem. Um, and so basically, and so she says, I'm very dark, like the, the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. So don't, don't gaze at me because I'm dark, because the sun has looked upon me. And then she goes on to say, my mother's sons were angry with me. They made me keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyards I have not kept. So I want to kind of break this down just a little bit. But basically she's saying, I don't stand up to the measure of beauty in my culture. I don't think it has anything to do with her actual being, being dark. She's saying, I have been working out in the sun. I've, I've been doing hard labor in the sun, and that therefore it has caused me to have darkened skin. And I know that that's not looked upon as uh, favorable in my society. Because there's something about her social class. So, so everything about who I am in, in terms of my, um, my I'm, a, I'm a lower, I'm lower class. And she, I, in many ways, she's probably comparing herself to the, the many um, maidens in Solomon's, um, potentially, or others that don't have to do hard work and labor. You know, they don't have to, to do this. And so she's recognizing that her physical appearance um, is a hindrance to some people who really solely care about physical appearance, mm -hmm. right? Um, she's saying it's been, it's been darkened by the sun, by the tent, the, like uh, the tents of Kedar, which were um, just tents with dark goat skin. And so she's saying like, I'm, I'm dark. And so it's really interesting as we listen and we see that she has insecurities, right? But th this is the thing, insecurities are in many ways inevitable because we're human. And we struggle at times to feel good enough and especially when it comes to rel romantic relationships. These are where a lot of these insecurities are often exposed in many ways. Um, but it's important to see that her insecurity is also in many ways attached to her past and what has happened to her. Because she says, my mother's sons were angry with me. They made me keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. What I love here is that like, she's going really deep with him. She is being very vulnerable with him here. She's telling him about a very painful part of her life, which has shaped her self-perspective, really. Um, maybe the hardships of her life, which um, can be seen within her as a person. You know, she, she's not hiding them with, with him. She's being very transparent and real. And this is, what, this is what lasting relationships are built on, transparency, on realness, on saying, like, this is, I'm not going to hide my past. Like, I have a tough past. Like, um, she, she might have had some abusiveness in her past. Like, she's been told, um, or maybe like a Cinderella-type life where she feels like she has been, ha had to do some really tough stuff. But she's not hiding that from him. And she doesn't, um, she expresses to himself, her, to him, this insecurity. And she's very transparent about it. And she's I, uncropped and unfiltered. She's uncropped. And I feel like the depth yeah. of this kind of communication in a relationship um, and true intimacy can really be seen here. It's really interesting. Um, and she doesn't hide the tough stuff from him. 
and it's almost like she feels embarrassed by the fact of her social class in some ways, because she says, don't look at me because I'm very dark, um, because she asked and she says, because I didn't, I, I've only been able to care for the, the vineyards. I haven't been able to care for my own self physically. Because um, she says, my own vineyard, I haven't been able to, like, I've only worked on the other stuff. And so she's, but I love it that she's going to discover here that in the, despite her hardships and despite her fears of being disqualified uh, from this kind of romantic and deep relationship with him, like, in, in her fears, instead, we will see that, um, that what happens is he still affirms her. And we're going to see that um, everything that she's, that has happened to her in her past, even her working, all of it has been part of forming her character. And so she doesn't even, she doesn't need to hide it. Does that make sense? She doesn't need to, to pretend like it's not there. It's been part of forming her character. Mm. She's been hard at work in the vineyard. And I love that because, um, you know, she, she is very honest and open. Um, and I love the fact that even in her, like her fears and insecurities, I love the fact that she's not just staying there. Um, she doesn't, her identity is not solely in that. She recognizes who she is because what does she say? I'm very dark, but I am lovely. She can recognize that. And maybe it's best to say that she saw herself as, like, ultimately, fundamentally, I know this is how society sees me. I know I haven't been able to take care of myself, and sometimes that makes me feel insecure. But I know ultimately, fundamentally, who I am, um, that I am that I am lovely, that I can recognize that. And where does that come from? Where does that, that reality, where can that reality come from? All of us, no matter what society says about us, no matter what we are tempted to think about who we should be, or you know, society says I should be this, or whatever it may be. The fact that we are, each of us, we are made, created in the image of God. We are image bearers of the living God. And so we can say, I am whatever it may be, but I am lovely. Mm -hmm. I am created in his image. And so there is fruit in cultivating that in our lives, okay? Mm -hmm. There is fruit in cultivating that kind of transparency that she had with him and recognizing, but also recognizing, we got to recognize fundamentally, like we are, we are made in the image of God. And that's how, if we were to come to relationships like that, um, man, we're at a good place. Such a great, such a great thing. She goes on in verse 7. She's like, she's looking for this guy now. She's like, where are you at right now? She says, tell me, you, uh, you whom my soul loves, where you pasture your flock, where you make it lie down at noon. Basically, when you take your, your, your breaks, where are you going to be at? Because I want to I spend time with you. She's looking for him. Um, for why should I, she says, be like one who veils herself beside the flocks of your companions? Why should I go out looking in the fields like some woman who's looking for some some uh, improper relationship as if I'm a stranger just trying to find any guy. I want, here, I want to go and look for you and spend time with you. And so you see this insecurity. You see this kind of pursuit that they both have for one another. But what I love that goes on here is not only is she able to express her insecurity but also just secure in who she is, is that this man meets her in this same place. What does he tell her in verse 8? In terms of where are you at, he says, well, if you do, if you do not know, oh, most beautiful among women... Follow the tracks of the flock. So not only is he giving her directions, like, hey, just follow the footprints of my sheep, but he calls her almost beautiful among women. She just expressed her insecurity about some of her appearance that's related to her social class, um, to, to the, to the uh, struggle that her brothers made her work the fields. And he's like, hey, 
you're beautiful to me. You're beautiful to me. And he meets her in that place of insecurity. And look, like, in relationships, whether single or married, um, we cannot have people playing the guessing game. We need, we need to be direct and speaking, speaking to them. I, I want to say this to, to, to married couples. Sometimes, like, we enter into marriage and we get into these, the routine of life and we become super boring. Because it's so boring and we don't express things to one another. And the truth is sometimes conflict, pace of life, can make you feel unattractive or, unattra- or, or not attracted to your spouse. But it's ultimately because you haven't kept your eyes on God and you're letting life wear you down. And here, like, I just love the intentionality of saying, no, you're beautiful to me. Life is taking its toll on us. But you're beautiful to me. Well, and I love the picture that it is. He's basically that safe place to bring her insecurities, right? He's become that, that place where she can freely say, like, hey, this is how I feel. Um, and I, I, I know I'm kind of struggling with this right now and be completely transparent. And he's not that, that one that makes her feel even more insecure. So, and this is the kind of relationship that truly builds one another up, where we can be that type of uh, reflection and say, you know what, I'm going to remind you of who God says you are. (laughs) You know, you are most beautiful among women, even if you don't feel like it right now. Even if you've had three kids and your body ain't the same. Like, (laughs) I want to remind you, like, that you are creating God's image and I love you. And that's the kind, this is why the name matters. This is why the name matters, because beauty is fleeting. But he's saying, ultimately, the whole person of who you are is beautiful to me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, He goes on to talk about her here. He says, I compare you, my love, to a mare, that's a a female horse, among uh, Pharaoh's chariots. Now, as I was studying this, it seems that Pharaoh's chariots in this generation, this era of the riding, uh, were mostly just, they used male male horses for for the, the chariots. And he's saying, you're like a mare among chariot, among, among male horses. You're a female horse among male horses. And it's like, okay, what's the image that he's talking about here? Some things like, all right, you stand out. <laughs> you're not one of them. But others wonder, like, he's saying, you know, you have this, all these male horses with chariots, and these male horses are decked out because there's Pharaoh's horses. But you throw a female horse among that, it's going to distract the other horses. And I think in some ways what he's saying is, like, you are that beautiful to me. You, you grab my attention. You are in some ways even distracting by your beauty. And I, just, I, I think it's so, so cool how he meets her speaking these ways to her. He says, your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, um, likely from the earrings that dangled. Uh, your neck with strings of jewels. And then the others chime in, we'll make for you ornaments of gold studded with silver. So now this couple, they're just, they're just talking about their attraction to one another. But you haven't heard one thing about their physical appearance yet. Not one thing. You know, someone, someone asked me recently, said, you know, Eric, Pastor Eric, what, what was it that attracted you to Erica? Well, I was like, well, first of all, I was 15 and she was 14. So whatever answer I give you is, is going to be a little, you know. A little immature. <laughs> so I, I said, she was cute and a Christian. So I thought I should date her, right? Like, what else, what else is there? And I said, but the first answer was shallow and the second one was vague. She was a Christian. Like, what did that even mean? And so I said, God was merciful because um, one thing in his protection over me is he showed me her character. And as we grew older, I mean, we, were, we, were, we were kids. We really were kids. So we grew older, though, I began to see these kind of qualities of, of security in Christ, pursuing the Lord, serving God, God, as God was developing in her, as he was developing that within me. 
And, um, and so I just, I just want to say, like, these are, these are the things. Again, we, we want to press in on this point. And I know some, some of you married, uh, got married on maybe some shallow standards. You just were two, two people who said, we're attracted to each other, and there was some shallow stuff. Like, it is never too late to develop character. And some of you may be in our relationships right now. You're like, they ain't no character, but there's attraction physically. And God's like, you need out of that thing because dangerous. And there's others of you who are saying it was physical attraction that got us connected. But now we're, we're cultivating that life and we're seeing God develop that in us. And, and, and we're seeing this here. This is what, what God is emphasizing here. Um, let me just go through these next few verses right quick. And we'll, we'll land the plane here. As we're, I know we're a bit over time like normal. Uh, time that we end normally. Um, so she just expresses there her longing and attraction for him. She says, while the king was on his couch, my nard gave forth this fragrance, my perfume. He was smelling my perfume. My beloved is to me as a sachet of myrrh that lies between my breasts. Basically, she's saying, like, it's like a necklace that I have around my neck that has perfume in it. Um, and I can smell it coming from between my breasts. It's coming to my nostrils. My, my beloved, he is like that to me. I take his fragrance with me wherever I go. Um, I, I'm so attracted to him, to who he is, that it, it makes a difference wherever I'm at. And so, again, there is this emphasis on, on the character. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms in the vineyards of Engedi. And then he speaks, behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves. We'll get to that in another chapter. And then she's like, behold, you are beautiful, my beloved, truly delightful. Like, no, 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 you're more beautiful. No, you're more beautiful, right? But they're just, they're just showing, they're expressing love. And that's, that's, what, that's what goes on when we understand genuine attraction. She says, behold, you're beautiful, my love, truly delightful. Our couch is green. The beams of, beams of our house are cedar. Our rafters are pine. She's like, it's like we're outdoors. We have freedom in this relationship in this protection of God's blessing and his, his, um, and his grace on our lives. As we'll see, they're not yet married, but they're saying we, we definitely are drawn to one another. And that's, that's really ultimately what we wanted to highlight. We want to highlight the importance of that character piece to be driving our relationships. Yeah, and then their, the reciprocal nature of the conversation, it's reciprocal. Um, I often think of that um, Whitney Houston song. You know, she's like, how will I know? If he really loves me, how will I know? She's asking, or like her girlfriend, she's like, come on, tell me. How will I know? Like he calls and I don't know what to say. And I'm like, girl, you should know. <laughs> if he doesn't, by his words and actions, tell you, then it, he don't love you. <laughs> um, there should be a transparency and, a, and like communication. And there, this, this is just expressing all of that for us. Um, an example of what it means to truly be um, deeply love a person for their whole, who they are wholly, and then also be um, reciprocating that to one another, be expressive. There's no, no, no uh, hiding, and there's transparency, and all the good things that a relationship is built on. Yeah. And all these things, we need God's help. You know, what is so cool is that God operates in the same way, and this is why he's teaching us it. God, we, we were not drawn, or God did not uh, seem attractive to us. And there's nothing about us that God's like, oh, I really need to save that one person. It's not about our beauty. It's not about your bank account. It's not about your story. It's not about your degrees or your careers. God's a God who loves us based on his own character. And he's a God who pursues us. 
And the Bible says that he loved us so much that he would send Jesus to die on a cross to rescue us from our sins. And then it says that the love of God compels us. Like when we have been loved by God, who did not take into account all of our flaws, but said, I'm going to love you based on who I am, that is compelling for us then to say, God, I want to love you in the same way. And as I love you in the same way, God, I'm trusting that you would cultivate within me integrity, character, that I might be a man or woman who reflects the very things that you want reflected in my life. And that's why we have to let our relationship with God just pour into every aspect of our lives. We can't compartmentalize our romance or our work or our school and our faith. Our faith in Jesus seeps into every area of life. And in that way, as we live, like, man, we experience God's blessing. So I want you to be encouraged today because maybe even as we're talking, you realize, man, I lack character. I lack character for a host of reasons. But we want you to know that there is a God who brings new days and brings forgiveness and gives fresh starts. And that's what he offers to you. That's what he offers to me. And that's what we praise him for. So the Song of Solomon gives us instruction on where to begin. And we begin with our character, fam. And that's something that only God can cultivate within us. I'm going to pray here in a moment and invite up our worship team as we close in our final song. Positive, we went over it, but that's all right. We wanted to get through this. Um, and as the worship team comes up, we're going to have prayer team members uh, to the right and left of Erica and myself. And we want to invite you to come up and ask them for prayer. Whether it's something that God has spoken to you through our singing time, through the scripture reading, through this message. We want uh, you to have the opportunity to pray and ask God to move. Family, I want to invite you to rise to your feet as we uh, pray and get ready to sing. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this morning for this instruction. God, we pray you continue to lead us, Lord. May we be men and women who have our faith fully in you, in Jesus Christ, who died and rose from the dead for us. And God, may we then let your spirit work in us to shape us to be people of integrity, God. No matter how much we've failed in the past or even in the present, God, I pray we would trust you, Lord. Help us, God. God, you are our provider. You are an for us. So we lean on you, I pray in Jesus' name. God, we thank you, Lord, that you are Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, our provider. And God, we come to you today asking, Lord, that you would work in our lives, provide for us um, the, the confidence and the faith to trust you, Lord, and to, to lean upon you to develop within us the kind of character, Lord, that brings you glory. God, work in us, we pray, and be elevated and be exalted in our lives. I pray all this. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. In a moment you'll be dismissed, but this Thursday we'll be back to our real communities. And we'll be excited to gather as I know some of us were snowed out last week. God's word says, do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God bless you, Brooke family. You are dismissed.